to see you all, and welcome to everybody who's joining us online and at other campuses. You know, I'm so excited about what's going on at TVC these days. Uh, you know, we've been talking about this. We're in the season of Lent, where we kind of go from Ash Wednesday up through Good Friday, uh, preparing our hearts for the weekend where we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And we've invited our church family to join us in prayer and fasting. And it's cool because so many people have signed up and said, yes, I'm in on that. And then we made up these uh, little bracelets, you know, that have beads on them to kind of help with prayer. And, and uh, we, we gave, made these available to anybody that wanted them. And, and other bracelets say fast forward and keychains and all this stuff. And we've had over 2,000 of those things taken. And I think if just a percentage of you are actually praying along with us, actually fasting, that's pretty awesome. Would you agree with that? I'm very excited about what God's doing in our church. A lot of a lot of cool things. It's, it's uh, just really cool. You know, um, every room like this one, or like the one in Middleville or Delton, that has people in it, has a couple things going on. Number one, there's the obvious. There's the people. We're, we're here. We're obvious. And then there's the stuff that's not so obvious. The stuff that maybe is kind of cloaked. Now, you don't see it, but it's there. And it's there with every one of us. It's the stuff that we look at other people around us, and we don't see this particular thing, but it's there. Trust me on this. It's there. And it's not the elephant in the room. It's the monkeys. The monkeys. Now, uh, they're there, and I know some of you say, I don't see any monkeys. They're there. They're there, wreaking havoc. And some of you may remember, anybody watched the movie Jumanji? You remember that? That's been around a while now. But you may remember a scene in Jumanji. Let me just uh, let you look at this one scene. Don't! This will not be an easy mission. Monkeys slow the expedition. I actually love that scene in that movie. And I know some of you are going, okay, that's not happening in this room right now. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You don't see it. And we really don't even want it, but they're there. They're the monkeys in the room. They're the ones that cause so much damage. They do so much in our lives. You know what I'm talking about, the kind of stuff that we all struggle with. It may be things from addictions to overeating to uncontrolled anger to low-grade depression that we can't seem to deal with to, to frustrations or just feeling like life is coming to an end, all kinds of things, and they wreak havoc. And we don't want them, and we don't like them, and we wish they weren't there, but there they are. They're there. They're the monkeys in the room. Now, maybe, maybe you'd understand a little better if I described them as, and meet my little friend, these are... This is like, okay, the monkey on your back, all right? Is this cute or what? I just want to get a good shot of that, all right? Delton, do you think that's cute? All right, I just want to be clear, you know. The monkey on my back is pretty. <laughs> but they're there. They're there, and we don't like them. We don't want them, but they're there, and we all deal with them. And 
Here's the problem, though, is that instead of being honest about it and acknowledging it, what most of us do, and this is really what we do, is we kind of have this philosophy that says, you know, if the monkey on my back, I don't like it, I don't want it, I don't want anyone, you know, so what do I do? I just, I just cover it up in a fashionable way. Do I look good or what? Does this scarf make me look fat? But it's like, I cover it up. I mean, and as long as, if it's not seeable, if you don't see it, if it's, not, if it's not present, it's not there, right? Right? No, not right. It's still there. It's still there. It's the monkey on our back. And all of us struggle with these, and we all have them. And they're in this room right now, and they're wreaking havoc. They're doing damage. They're throwing knives and breaking dishes and messing things up. And we don't talk about them, and we act like they're not there, but they are They're there, they're here. We just don't like to, this is a little warm, so I'm going to take it off. We just don't like to own up to the monkeys on our back. I don't know why it is. It's just kind of a true confession about me, all right? Take it for what it's worth. But for most of my life, I've struggled with wanting to look better than I really am. Can anybody relate to that? I, I, I... I want to look good. One of the great things that I've struggled with, fears that I've had over all these years of my life, I'm 61 years old now, so many decades, over a half century of my life, I have struggled with these things. I don't want to look foolish. And I think all of us struggle with this at different levels, some of us more than others. But me, I'm one of those people, I wrestle with the fear of looking like a fool. And I know some of you are saying, and you chose to be a pastor? How does that work? But it's just, I don't know, it worked out that way. But that's something I wrestle with. Now, that's compared to my dad, who's been gone for a lot of years now, but my dad was one of those bigger-than-life people, and he did not really much care what you thought of how he looked. He really didn't. In the later years, my dad was a fairly heavy drinker, and he got this massive beer gut. I mean, the rest of the man, he'd always been trim and in shape and everything. He was an overhead lineman, but he got this massive beer gut. And I mean, when he sat down, he looked like Buddha with his shirt off, he looked like a hairy Buddha. That's exactly what my dad looked like. In fact, it was, this, this gut was so big. I remember when my younger brother Dave was getting married and we were talking about dad was going to have to wear a tuxedo. And my two brothers and I were joking about it saying, where will we find a cummerbund that will fit dad? We'll have to go to Omar the tent maker to get something to work on that. But my dad, this is, he had this giant gut. He could care less. He'd get on his John Deere lawnmower in the summer, pull his shirt off, hair sticking out, wiry back and belly hair everywhere. That belly sticking. He looked like Buddha on his tracker. And he did not give one lick what you thought. I, on the other hand, would never do that. Ever. Thank God for that too, all right? But dad, he didn't care. Now, I know some of you are more like my dad. You'd gladly be a hairy belly model or something. You know, you're just one of those people. But most of us struggle with this thing is that if we have something in our lives that is not perfect, we really would rather find a way to put a scarf over it and keep people from noticing it. Are you with me on that? We don't want people to see the imperfections or the bad stuff in our lives. All of us struggle with that. I remember being on the basketball team, ninth grade, and... uh, 
I, uh, we were playing a home game, and it was in the gym at the school I was at, and it was an old school, and the gym was quite small, but it was packed with people because, you know, families coming to watch us play and everything. And I'd gone up for a rebound, and I'd gotten the rebound, and I was feeling really good about it, and somebody inadvertently, they didn't, weren't meaning to, but they knocked my feet completely out from underneath of me. And when I came down in that gym, I came down right on my tailbone. My feet were up, my legs were up like this, and I landed, and it was like, boom, and it just resounded through the gym, and it was instantly silent. And then there was a collective, ow, just like that. And I'm sitting there with my legs up in the air on my just aching from pain. But you know what the biggest pain in me was? It was not the physical pain of having landed on my tailbone. It was the embarrassment that I felt. And I felt this sense actually almost overwhelming of like shame, like you are such an uncoordinated loser. And I thought, of course, back then that that's really what it was. It was that I I had shame. But since then, I've come to understand that it wasn't shame It was this thing that I would rather not voice it this way, but this thing that I've wrestled with my whole life. It was pride. It was pride. I didn't want anybody to think I was any less than somebody really good and really cool and had it together. It was pride. And all of us struggle. I struggled with this all my life. And all of us, at different levels in our lives, we struggle with this thing that threatens to destroy us. And it's this stuff. It's this the monkey of pride on our backs that we don't want to acknowledge. And it's always trying to grab a hold of my neck and your neck and everybody. It's something we struggle with. It's pride, or maybe you could call it a lack of real or true humility. And this week, as we continue now in the book of James, we're going to watch James in his blunt fashion wade right into a portion of Scripture where he talks about this area called the pride of life. I'd love to have you grab a Bible and open to James chapter 4, all right? We have them under the chairs or behind the chairs, but I'd love to have you get one. James chapter 4, and uh, we're going to pick up, that's page 848 in the Bibles we have, or open your phone app or a tablet or whatever. We're going to pick up at verse 1, and James just runs right into this again. This is a very classic stuff for James. He, I mean, he comes on so strong here, it feels almost overwhelming. So James chapter 4, I'm not putting these verses on the screen, so if you want to follow along, you'll have to grab a Bible. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. But he says in verse 3, when you ask God, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you can spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you understand or know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit he's caused to dwell in us? But, and then he brings the good news, he gives us more grace. This is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the what? Let's try it again. He shows favor to the, to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. And again, he just gets real strong here. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. In other words, change the pattern of your life. Go in a different direction. 
change, he says, your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then he kind of closes this little piece out and he says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Read it with me. And he will lift you up. He'll lift you up. You know, I never cease to be amazed when I read James. He's like a, a street fighter. I mean, he just, he just comes into this stuff swinging. It's like he doesn't pull any punches. Like, you really think it's okay to live like you're living and you're going to continue to grow in a relationship with God? No, stop, turn, change the direction of where you're going. And he speaks in this portion, basically, to that, you know, he kind of indicts all of us for this propensity that all of us have to basically being kind of selfish and prideful. All right, this is one where, you know, you're going to leave and, and you know, somebody, what, what did he preach on today? Uh, he told me I was selfish and prideful. But if we're honest, there is some of that in every one of us. Come on, is that true? Amen. See, nobody's saying, yeah, yeah, you know, you're just like, no, maybe with you. Let me try. If we're honest, there's some selfishness and pridefulness in all of us. Is that true? It is. So he wades right into this, and he addresses this subject. I mean, you look at how he says, he says, you covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Done any of that lately? Who are you to talk to me that way? Who are you to... He says, when you ask, he says, you... you, you, you you, you don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you can spend it on yourself, on, on your, your own pleasures. I mean, he's driving home what we all know, that we're pretty much bent in the direction of mostly. We're going to first go after what makes us feel good, what makes us feel right, what brings us pleasure. And this is a default mode for us because we're broken. And you know it's true. You know it's true. You're watching TV. Some commercial comes on and it's, you know, some humanitarian organization. They're show, showing you starving children from, from another, you know, third world country. And it's like you're grabbing for the remote somewhere so you can turn and change. I'm, look, I'm trying to find some entertainment here. I'm trying to just relax. I've had a long, busy day. I don't want, don't make me feel bad with this stuff. And I know, you know, we're not all evil, but let's just be honest. That's in us. Me first is on the inside of us. This is something that all of us fight. And James is very blunt about this. He says the only way you can fight this enemy, this thing called selfishness and pride, only way you can deal with it effectively is to not hide it. You can't put the scarf around the monkey on your back. You can't act like it's not there. You have to own this. He says change your way. Grieve even more. Do whatever you have to. But you have to humble yourself. You have to acknowledge who you are. I was talking with a friend of mine uh, a little while back. He goes to TVC, and he was telling me uh, that he uh, was working with this guy who'd come to TVC once or twice. And then he hadn't seen him for a while. And so, you know, they were at work one day, and he, he said to the guy, he said, I haven't seen you at church lately. I'd love to have you. you know, he said, want to invite him? He said, I'd love to have you come back. And uh, the guy looked at him and said, no, I'm not going back there. And he said, he was just curious. He said, really? He said, I'm just curious. Could I ask why? And the guy just answered with one sentence. He said, I'm not broken. Now, to me, it was like, well, he heard what we say a lot here, didn't he? 
that we are broken. He heard it. He just wasn't buying into it. And that is a huge message for us at TVC that we understand and we acknowledge that there's none of us, there's nobody in this room or Delton or Middleville or watching online, there's none of us who says, I'm a Christian, who can say we don't have sometimes monkeys on our back that are destructive in our lives. We are all broken fundamentally and we need God. Amen? We need God at work in our... This is something we can't be without. And yet, a propensity when we have these things, and this is default mode for me, man, I'm telling you. you know, some of you heard me talk about this, but most weekends I go home and I just feel like, ah, I screwed up, I did terrible. I'm so worried, I don't want to look stupid. And I know some of you are going, it's too late, might as well give up on that one. But, you know, I know some of you, you don't, you don't think about those kind of things, but can anybody relate to what I'm saying? You ever walked away from a conversation and just went, oh, I think I looked really stupid in that one. Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you don't, you fight that. We don't want to be humble. Something in us is, there's, there's a certain level of pride. And this is what you have to understand. That you, this is what James is saying. You have to own this. Because you can never deal, you cannot win if you don't. See, this is, I just wrote this down as a statement. This is, as long as you hide him, you can't kill the monkey. As long as you've got the scarf on, as long as you're trying to look good for everybody around you, you can never deal with it. Now, you don't have to pull the scarf back for the whole world and say, here I am, look at my belly, or look at the, you know, the warts or the blemishes or the troubles. But you need to be open to that with some people. You have to take the scarf off at some level. You cannot hide it and ever expect to win over the stuff that's damaging your life. And some of us just need to hear this. You know, you're looking at stuff. You're, you're dealing with stuff. You're ingesting stuff. You're, you're involved in stuff that is bringing destruction into your life and into your family and in your home. And you think as long as you put the scarf around it, it will be okay. You can't do that. Again, you don't have to tell the world, but you need to be telling somebody. You need to pull the scarf off and be honest about who you are and that you're broken. You'll never deal with it if you don't. You won't. James, of course, isn't the only place where this kind of thing's talked about. John speaks about it. First John 2.16, he says, Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, us wanting stuff for our desires, the, the lust of the eyes, again, the same thing, and the pride of life. That sense, look at me. We would never say it like, look at me. He says, these come not from the Father, but from the world, you can't cover this stuff up. As I said, it's never as blatant as, look at how wonderful I am, but it's there in us, and we have to be honest about it and uncover that part of us that's, that's destroying us because it's so destructive. But so often, as I've said over and over already in this talk, instead of being honest and then being able to deal with this thing and kill the monkey, the thing on our back that's bringing destruction to our lives, we just cover it up. We just keep hiding it. But in the end, you can't do it. And so James says, and this is what he makes so clear. Bottom line, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to humble yourself. And I want to just I do, do a little time out and ask the question. You think you're humble? It's not a trick question. I'm really, I'm just asking you to think about this. 
You think you're a humble person? I think it's a really good question to ask because, I mean, we, we read this. Verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the, does anybody remember the word? To the humble. He shows favor to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And then in verse 10, if you look at it again, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So what do you think? You humble? I mean, good question is, I know some of you are going, well, if I say I am, then I think I'm not. Now, I'm not sure how to do the math on this. I'm just asking you to think about this. You think you live with, with humility. And that last statement that, that I read, that from verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up, it actually provides some really important information on this whole subject of humility. This always comes up whenever I talk about it because I think there's, I think there's a lot of confusion about what humility is. This is what I, I think, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but, but I think a lot of us believe that humility is something it's like you're either born with, like, oh, that guy is so humble, or she is such a humble person. We, we think you're either born with it, or we think something bad happens to you, and then it humbles you. Have you ever heard that people say, this thing happened to me, and it just, it was humiliating, in, in, meaning, basically, I was humbled by this thing. Okay, listen very carefully, because you will not find any evidence of that in Scripture. Scripture does not teach that humility is a gift of God or is something that you're born with or is something that happens as a result of some experience in your life. I was so humbled. I went through this thing, and it just humbled me. You don't get humbled by life. Listen, this is really important, okay? Humility is not done to you. Read it with me. It's done by you. This is what Scripture teaches us over and over. We read it in verse 10. Humble yourself. In other words, you have to choose humility. This is what many people think is that, well, if I'm humble, it's because I had something happen to me that really broke me. No, no, no. Humility comes as a result of making a choice in your own life that you, number one, pull the scarf back and be honest about who you are. You humble yourself, not because bad things happen to you, not because you're gifted. You humble yourself. So let me just ask again, one more time out. You think you're humble? Understanding that it's not just a personality trait that you're born with. Humility is something that you either make application of or don't. Maybe I could ask it this way. Do you humble yourself consistently? If I were to ask myself that question, here here would be my answer. Do I humble myself? Sometimes. Anybody with me on that one? Sometimes I do. But sometimes I was working on this talk. I'm thinking about humility, and i got to live humble, you know, and I'm supposed to humble myself. And I found myself, at one point, very indignant that someone would have talked to me the way they did. Ever felt that feeling? Who the heck do you think you are? Come on, anybody ever had that feeling? Some of you feel that towards me on a weekly basis. 
You're like, you can just shut up. I don't know who you, you, you can't just, no, no. I, I'm amazed at how often I find myself wanting people to think I'm a little bit better than I am, hoping that I can present something in a way that will make me look good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, let's just be honest here. I'll present something about myself. I'll tell something about my history. I'll talk about something that's happened to me. And I want to do it in a light that makes me look kind of good. And I even actually like to do it in a way that makes me look humble. That's almost bizarre, isn't it? I arrogantly present myself as humble. But I think you all know what I'm talking about. I'm going to ask you again. Do you humble yourself? How often do you do it? Because as we said, you can't kill the monkey. You can't deal with the stuff in your life. If you don't start with number one, first of all, being honest about that stuff and revealing it, you have to humble yourself. Now, I want to keep this real simple, so I'm just going to mention a couple thoughts here that I think are real important. And I think there are things sometimes people don't recognize about humility. And the first one, I, th- I think you'll know, but I think this is so important. And that is, is that humility... Look, if you want to live a life that's rich, do you remember what we read? Again, go back to verse 6 and verse 10. You look there in chapter 4 of James. If you look there, you'll see the first one says that God opposes the what? what? The proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And then in verse 10 it says, humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will, can anybody fill in the rest? He will what? He will what? He will lift you up. You want to live a good life. You want to live a life that's rich, that has beauty, that has wonder in it. You need to understand, humility is a beautiful thing. Now, the irony of this, and the only reason I even bring this point up, and I just have two points, and it's it's like, why why would you, you know, with everything to talk about humility, because this is so important, is that many of us, the reason we don't practice humility humbling ourselves more, is that it is counterintuitive. It it doesn't feel beautiful. When I humble myself, when I go to somebody and say, I'm struggling with this thing, and I need to be honest about it, I need to open myself up, I need to acknowledge this broken piece in me, I'm wrestling with this thing in my life. I don't feel beautiful, I feel ugly. You know what I'm talking about? It's like I feel like I've revealed myself in a way that makes me look stupid to someone else, makes me look like a loser. The irony in all this is, is that you're the only person that thinks that. They actually, anytime we see people who are humbling themselves, we find it attractive. Uh, My wife Ann and I, for a season, we were real regular watchers of a show called Chopped. Anybody ever heard of it? It's on the Food Network, and uh, we don't have, you know, dish TV anymore, satellite TV anymore, so we don't, don't see it so much. But uh, we watched it for quite a while, and uh, I loved it. We, every Saturday night after church, we'd go home and, and fix dinner, and then we'd, we don't watch TV while we're eating, but it's kind of almost tradition. We do that on Saturday nights together, and we'll, we would watch that show. And if you, if you haven't seen the ch- show Chopped, They'd start with four contestants. They have a panel of judges, four contestants, and the contestants have to compete by cooking these courses, three different courses, 
of food, and they come from surprise ingredients in the baskets. And then once they've cooked a course, they'll bring them to the judges, and the judges will taste them and eat, and they'll say to them, this is how they start, they'll say, what I have prepared for you today, what I have prepared for you, or today I have prepared for you. And then they'll describe the food. I guess we actually watched it more than I realized because these days when I ask Ann what's for dinner, she always goes, today I have prepared for you. (laughs) So anyhow, when they get down to the final two contestants, so the final two contestants do the dessert course. And when they get down to the final two, it's very common for them to kind of, I think they coach these people, I really do, to act arrogant. Because they'll say to them, you know, like, are you ready for this? And they'll be like, I totally got this covered. I am going to be the next champion. And they, they talk that way. They talk with a certain arrogance. And it actually, sometimes I find it almost obnoxious. And, and, and they'll, sometimes they'll have, have them face off with each other. This is like a picture uh, where the two of the chefs in the red are. They're facing each other off. This is the final thing. And the guy in the middle who's the MC, he'll look at them and he'll say, are you ready for this? You know, and then they'll give their kind of obnoxious answers. And one night we're watching this. And, and, and uh, uh, he looks at the one guy and he goes, are you ready for this? Are you ready to win? And the guy's like, I totally got this. I'm gonna, I've got this thing covered. And he looks at the other guy and goes, are you afraid? And the guy goes, not a bit. Well, maybe a little. And in that moment, when he said that, it was an interesting thing that happened on the inside of me. I didn't go, what a loser. He's afraid. You know what I went? Yay for you for being honest. Because when people humble themselves, it is comely and it draws us to them. Would you agree with that? We're drawn, we like to be around humble people. Do you want to be around arrogant and prideful people? No. You avoid them. But humility is a beautiful thing. The trouble is, is it doesn't feel beautiful when, you'll, when you're humbling yourself. But I want you to get this. Some of you are hearing this, and you've got something that's been in your life, and you really have been struggling with this, and you can't seem to get victory over it. Maybe it's kind of a prescription drug thing, or maybe it's something that you're, you know, pornography on the internet, or maybe it's some other thing in your life, something that you're hiding. It's overeating, and you think nobody knows, and you keep the scarf on, and you keep it hidden, and you don't want to talk about it, because if I reveal myself to somebody, I'm going to be ugly. You will be beautiful. Because true humility is where you were made to live. When we humble ourselves, we are in the zone. As James says, you're letting all this stuff rule your life. You're being dominated. You're pushing your way into things. You're trying to get stuff. And when you get it, it doesn't bring satisfaction because you've missed way you're supposed to live. Humble yourself. So let me just go back and ask again. You humble yourself? Do you? You humble yourself because it's beautiful. It is beautiful. You humble yourself by consciously and consistently choosing to be honest about who you are. Now listen to this because this is my other thought. And I'll finish with this. Be honest about who you are. That's how you humble yourself, number one. And then number two, you you humble yourself by putting other people first. Here's the truth about humility you need to know. Humility defers. James says, you ask God, but you don't get what you want because if you do, you, you, you use it for the wrong stuff. You use it for yourself. 
humility, true humility, when we humble ourselves, we are, number one, honest about who we are. We take the scarf off the monkey. And then we put others first. We consciously, consistently choose to put others first. Look at what Scripture says in Philippians 2, 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Would you call that selfishness and pride? Do you think that would be another way of saying it? Selfishness. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit out of pride. Rather, in what? In humility. This is how you do it. Value others how? Above yourself. Above yourself. You value other people above yourself, not because it's easy. See, deference, this is an interesting thing. Deference is not about, you know, well, I guess I better be nice to you. It is understanding that the way God made me, when I operate in my best, is when I'm being honest about the fact that I'm broken and I need help and I keep going after God and he gives us more grace and yay for that, but this is who I am. And then when I realize that others around me matter. And so I'm looking out for them, not just taking care of me. I know all of us do that a little bit, but is that a consistent goal in your life? God, you made me to put others before myself. It's not your default mode, I can tell you that. Deferring is not your default mode. But, that, but that, that's actually how you're made. You humble yourself by putting others first. Jesus was asked at one point, this is my paraphrase of it, but he's basically asked, you know, what's the most important stuff? In a nutshell, can you tell me what really matters the most? What really matters the most? And Jesus' response was, you love God with everything in you, and you love, can anybody tell me? People. You put people before you. It's how you're made. James says this, you've got to humble yourself. Be honest about who you are and, and defer to people. Put them first, even when it's not easy. What, what does that mean? It means that instead of talking about you incessantly to other people. You ask questions of them, and then you listen. Now, for some of you, that's real easy because you're, you know, you're by default kind of more of a listener than a talker. Let me just ask in this room, let's just do this in all our campuses. How many of you would say you're more of a talker than a listener? Just be honest and lift your hand. Okay, see, some of you didn't even hear me because you were talking to the person next to you, and you Some of you are like me, and that's me. You know, my dad always said about me, he said, you enter the room mouth first. That's how he talked about me. I'm just... But when you defer to others, you're not so much talking about how good you've done. You're asking about what's happening in their life. And then you listen. And then you celebrate. When you are deferring to others, you're not demanding your rights with indignance you're looking to champion someone else whose rights have been taken away. Let me just stop. Okay, one more time out, can I? Do you do that? Let me just ask this question. Who do you champion? 
Do you champion people that you work with? Do you champion people in your neighborhood? Do you champion people? That means that you look out for their rights with the same passion that you would look out for your own. Now, I'm not contending that we don't take care of ourselves. What I'm saying is, is that people who are humble, who humble themselves, and you have to keep going back to this, those people, they work at this one. Because they understand that their default mode as a broken human being is me first, me first, me first. And so they fight to say, not me first. They fight to use their words. Man, if you didn't hear last weekend's talk, Joel gave an excellent talk last weekend about the subject of criticism. And James, again, with his classic bluntness, just dives into it. And Joel talked about how this is so often, so many of us, we're so critical of people and institutions and things around us. And we criticize and criticize and criticize. And Joel made a statement that has stuck with me all week. I'm telling you, if you didn't, didn't hear it, you should go back and listen to the podcast or watch it online at our website or something. He said we should be hope dealers. I actually put it as a reminder on my laptop every day to come up just to ask myself, are you acting as a hope dealer? Are your words building up? I love a quote I heard recently attributed to Michelangelo. It just said, criticize by creating. That's great. Instead of just finding something to complain about and those people and that thing and these whatever, instead of just whining and complaining, you want to speak to something that's not right? Create something. Create the good in others. Build up others in a way that you would like to see them live their lives. Be a person who is honest about who they are and who defers to others, who defaults to saying, you first. No, you first. Instead of standing up for my rights, I stand up for others. You do that? I know, for me, I need to do it a whole lot more. Anybody like me? I, I know humility is right. It's just not easy. Maybe that's why James tackled it in such a blunt way. Maybe, maybe I should have subtitled this talk, Suck It Up and Do It. Humble Yourself. And I challenge you to that. In three weeks, just three weeks, it'll be Easter weekend. You know what Easter weekend is? It's the time when more people are more likely to go to church than any other time except for possibly Christmas Eve. And it is an amazing opportunity to invite people to your church or to whatever church, just to invite them to go to a church service somewhere. But so many of us don't do it because we are just kind of scared. We're scared that if we say, hey... We'd love to have you come. You should check out our church at Easter. They'll think you're a religious nut. Well, maybe you should be. If God's really God. So actually, um, we have little cards that the ushers at all our campuses, right now, guys, just come on out, pass them out. Delton, Middleville, if you do the same thing, just come up and pass them out. They're just little, they're, they're just little business size cards. Just take one. Now, these are for giving away. If you want to take more, we have them in tables out in the lobby at all our campuses uh, by a banner that says ready, uh, ready to invite. And uh, 
I'd love to have you just take one. And I just want you to think about this. Who do you know that is unchurched that maybe you could invite to church? And I just challenge you, if you're visiting, this is our invitation to you. Or if you go to another church, go there and just throw this away, all right? Or just leave it on the seat and we'll pick it up. But for those of you who are part of the church family, who do you know that's unchurched that you might invite to an Easter weekend that might go? Who knows what God could do? Who knows what God could do? In the last few months, I interviewed a couple on this platform. They had been coming now for five or six years, their first weekend ever at TVC, and were not going to church. Their first weekend was an Easter weekend, and they came, and they have just been coming ever since. And today they would say, they're now in their late 60s and and middle 70s, they would say, our lives have never been richer and fuller because they said yes to Christ. Who knows what God may do? Amen? So humble yourself. Humble yourself. And be willing to just invite somebody. We did this yesterday. I, I did this. Ann and I actually were with someone, and we invited them. I, happened, I just so happened to have a card and pulled it out and gave it to them on Easter weekend. I'm going to take a bunch because I want to do that, and I challenge you to do that. Either way, this is my challenge to everybody. Humble yourself. Don't wait to be humbled. Humble yourself. Live with humility. Be honest about who you are and defer to others. Put them first. And if you need a next step, and most of us do, maybe you need to get engaged in a group. Maybe you need to begin serving at the church you attend. If it's TVC, serving there, wherever. You want to stop out at the, your next step area, we have them in all of our lobbies. We'll bend over backwards to help you take a next step. I hope you will. Because when God's at work in our life, it just gets better. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We'll close with prayer. So amazing what you do in our lives, God. So amazing. And what you have prepared for us, the life that you call us to, is rich and awesome and full, but you call us to operate in your plan. You call us to humble ourselves. And so today, help us to choose that. And tomorrow, help us to choose that. And in the days to come, and we trust you to do it. In Jesus' name, let's say it together.